0: Welcome to your headquarters for knowledge and helpful advice on a variety of topics, all from trusted experts in their fields. It's time for River City Podcasts. mcmaster is the founder and owner of the law offices of elizabeth mcmaster plc After graduating from the Catholic University Columbus School of Law in Washington, D.C. in 2006 and passing the Virginia State Bar, Elizabeth opened her practice in historic Fredericksburg, Virginia in February 2007. Elizabeth specializes in elder law, estate planning, guardianship probate, special needs planning, and mental health law. Elizabeth grew up on a 106-acre farm in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which spurred her love of history, especially the U.S. Civil War— Which led her to attend college in Virginia. Although born in Pennsylvania, Elizabeth is now a Virginian at heart. Elizabeth is a member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and is a board member for the Virginia Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Elizabeth is also a member of the Virginia Beach Bar Association, the Virginia State Bar, and Suffolk Business Women's Group. Elizabeth has been on the board of the Alzheimer's Association, which is near and dear to her heart, as she has lost a grandmother, grandfather, uncle, and great-uncle, as well as countless clients to Alzheimer's disease. Elizabeth moved to North Suffolk, Virginia in December of 2020. Elizabeth lives with her husband, John, his adult son, three French bulldogs, and a very sweet black cat. When not assisting her clients, Elizabeth loves to listen to true crime podcasts, go to the beach, and hang out with her Frenchies. Elizabeth, welcome to River City Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Jess. June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, so perfect timing for you to be here. Let's start off talking about how many Americans are actually living with either Alzheimer's or other related issues. I believe the current
1: statistic, and of course it changes all the time, is 6.7 million Americans. And by 2050, that number is projected to rise to nearly 13 million.
0: Huge number. Odds are this topic is going to resonate with our listeners. So I do appreciate you helping us understand more. And these are things that can be difficult to recognize right away, at least in the experience I've had. It can start off slow and then it rapidly declines. So when we first start seeing a loved one that is possibly being affected by either dementia, Alzheimer's disease, what are some action steps to take once we get a diagnosis or even to get that diagnosis? Well, and
1: I generally tell people they think you know, we're in the early stages and they think that this is a possibility. I always direct them to the Alzheimer's Association and every jurisdiction has a local Alzheimer's office and they can call 24-7 or, and they can talk to somebody on the national hotline and they can also speak to a somebody local in the Alzheimer's Association to try to guide them through. And um, they have so many great programs for family members, caregivers, and the person who's actually affected by the disease. It's all about education and letting people know what resources they have in the community. And I used to be on the local council for the Alzheimer's Association up in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So I worked very closely with them and trying to help with the education piece regarding, of course, the legal, what legal issues to get in place or legal documents to get in place before it's too late.
0: And talk a little bit more about that, because I think for the average person, we don't know what too late is and when to start making those plans. You know, if it's just starting or where in that process does that become relevant? As early as possible, as soon as the person gets the
1: diagnosis. Okay. And they still know who they are. They know what they own, they know their family members. They know who they want to act for them when they can no longer do so because that is inevitable, unfortunately, with the disease, any type of dementia. As soon as possible, and there is going to become a point where it's going to be too late to be able to do that. And that's when we get into the whole guardianship conservatorship piece. So I always recommend make the appointment. Of course, right after diagnosis, people's heads are spinning, they're grieving because it's a long grief process, more so for the family than the individual. And there's a lot of processing that needs to happen. But once that is done, as soon as possible, you need to make sure that the loved one has a solid power of attorney in place, a solid medical directive, and a will or trust, whichever that they want, in order to be able to handle things for the individual they can no longer do it themselves.
0: And your comment, whatever they want, they may not know what they want or what they need. And that's where you really can come in and yes. guide people as to what the mm-hmm. options are and based on their situation, right? Absolutely. One of the pieces, and I'm curious with the people, the families that you've worked with, is that at the beginning of diagnosis, for the most part, a lot of these people are still fairly cognitive and alert and aware. And how have you seen people have these conversations without insulting their loved one?
1: Uh, you know, it's a fine line and it just, it varies. That's why I say they need to process everything first and not just immediately say we need to haul you all into the lawyer's yeah. office. A part of the process too is getting into the Alzheimer's Association has support groups. And I know it helps a lot of people, especially the caregivers, because let's say it's the oldest daughter or the oldest daughter in law, and it's usually females, and they have a support system. When they're losing their mind caregiving, they can call this other person and they only understand what's going on. And they have that kind of support. Doing that, talking to other people and seeing, okay, how did you approach, approach this? That. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see people too that are in different stages. So you have, um, early stage, we're in the beginning of the process. And there's somebody who's been doing it for the last five years. And they can say, well, this is what we did and so on and so forth. But the longer you wait, there could be a paranoia aspect that comes in and that's part of the disease sometimes. That's another reason not to wait because, hey, mom, you really need to get this in place. All you want to kill me off and take my money instead of actually, we just want to help you do that. But sometimes there are people their entire life that have been so private that they just will never do. They'll never set anything up. That's unfortunately when we're in court then. You know, part of it too, when I give seminars, I tell people these are the documents you need and then I end it with, but if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So I try to do a scared uh, straight approach. Do you really want some judge, she doesn't know you, to determine which of your family member members is going to take care of you? And then they're going to have to report to somebody every year about how they spend their money, so on and so forth. That's how... I try to educate people about just do this stuff. It's not fun. Nobody wants to do it, but it's going to be easier on the family and the family is going to have a lot on them to begin with dealing with the dementia aspect of uh, we're going to care give at home. At what point do we look at assisted living? It's all very emotional.
0: It is. And we appreciate you being there for everybody to get us through this. There is something exciting coming up, though. A lot of this is sort of scary stuff to think about. But there's something coming up on Summer Solstice. That's June 21st. It's an amazing Alzheimer's Association fundraising event. Can you tell us about that? The Alzheimer's Association has two uh, fundraising, national
1: fundraising events they do every year. And the one they've had for a very long time is the Walk to End Alzheimer's. And that's usually in the fall. That's where you get teens together and they walk to raise money for the Alzheimer's Association. So that's been around for quite a while. Several years back, uh, they came up with Alzheimer's Association came up with the longest day. So of course the longest days, summer solstice. And they said, well, why don't we have people get together and do things they enjoy doing? If they do it from sun up to sundown, then they raise money for the Alzheimer's Association. So it could be all sorts of things. People could do a bike ride. They could do bowling. They could. Play golf, tennis, pickleball, whatever. One year I did it. One of the first years I had game day at my house. There were all sorts of games, everything from Jenga to Monopoly to Cornhole. I'm trying to think what else we did. We just did a bunch of different games and people would come by throughout the day. They would give a check or cash or whatever that was to raise money for the Alzheimer's Association and it was fun.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, how do you get more information on that or do you need to sign up for that or? Generally, yes, you would sign up and uh, you
1: just go to the Alzheimer's website, alz.org, and just look at, you can do both. You could do, form a team for the walk or join a team. They'll list teams in your area. And when the walk is going to be during COVID, it was a little wonky because they didn't want to be together. So it was like a virtual walk. But now I think everything's completely back and um, especially with the longest day and it's whatever your joy is whatever makes you happy people bake people will do all sorts I believe I'm going to say Cardiwood one year uh, years ago did something and people would come by all day and um, did it for the longest day. You don't have to do it on the longest day either. You can do it around the longest day. It doesn't have to exactly be that day.
0: That's very cool. We should figure out something to do for sure for that. We just actually lost a family member to Alzheimer's, and I talked to my uncle, who it was his sister, and my uncle's 80 years old, but he's fit as a fiddle. But because his mother passed away from this and his sister just passed away from this, he's just on a roll with being as active as possible. And he started telling me some foods to avoid. And I don't know if you've looked into this, but there are foods that are directly linked to dementia. And that was crazy to me. Uh, Microwave popcorn being one of them. I'm like, one of the rules, and I'm not very strict about anything, no microwave popcorn. They were just appalled. And I'm like, it smells. There's a chemical in that process that can lead to dementia and things like artificial sweetener. And there's a lot of things, processed cheese, but there's also a lot of great things that I found. So leafy greens, nuts, omega-3 spices and seeds. There's a lot of things you can just kind of throw into your daily diet. That's what my uncle's doing to actively like fight this from happening to him, which I think is awesome.
1: There was a study several years ago about Indian spices. And one of the Indian spices, I think it's turmeric, I'm going to say, that if you they were saying it's not scientific, but they swore by if you take turmeric pills or if you use turmeric in your food, that that would help with not getting dementia. So I don't know how scientific that is, but I know that was out there for a while.
0: And I think B vitamins is a big one, too.
1: Yeah. So he unfortunately does run in family. So he does have cause to be worried. My grandmother and her twin brother both died from Alzheimer's disease. So there is something to be said about the hereditary link there. Like with many brain diseases, we just don't know enough.
0: Going back to what we were talking about earlier, the other thing that happens with this particular type of disease is that it's not some really aggressive cancers where you're talking about less than a year. The dementia and Alzheimer's can go on for years and years where you are caring for this person. And so at the very least, if you can have the protection in place, the legal protection, the paperwork, it's just one less thing to have to worry about when you kind of have your hands full with so much.
1: Yes and it's also good for family members when you know when there is a diagnosis to talk so there's no guilt about, like, gosh, I can't handle this anymore. I can no longer care for mom. She's got to go to assisted living. But if you have that talk with mom, when at first a mom's like, listen, I'm too much to deal with. Put me in assisted living. So, you need to have that kind of conversation. You know, I've had several individuals have come to see me. We've had a frank discussion. And remember this one lady, she said, so I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. I still know who I am. But she said, I know I have to get this stuff in place before I can no longer do it. And when we say to no longer do it, you have to have, and I believe we discussed this before, but you have to have a legal capacity to draw up a power of attorney, for example, to do a medical directive, to do a will or a trust. You have to have a certain, you know, capacity to understand what you're doing and who you're appointing to act as in those roles. Once the disease gets to a certain point and you don't really recognize family or you don't know what you own or it's too late. So that's what we say by not waiting until it's too late. Too late means that capacity element is gone.
0: And then somebody told a judge that doesn't know any party is going to then start making decisions.
1: Exactly. And um, I have one right now where it's just the judge is dragging it on and on because the individual doesn't want a guardian. Well, she doesn't want a guardian because she's paranoid. She's always been paranoid, but it's come to this that we had to order a neuropsych exam for her. And sure enough, you know, she really does need a guardian, but he was uh, skeptical. And, you know, part of the problem, too, we have is with the medical field. So many PCPs. don't feel comfortable with geriatrics. So, and that's the issue we had is the doctor didn't feel that she was capable of commenting on the dementia. And so she referred the individual to get a neuropsych. Well, she wouldn't do it. It was kind of like a catch-22 with that. It's all part of it, but nobody's going into geriatrics anymore. It's going to be a huge issue in a couple of years. It's already an issue. Nursing homes took such a hit, especially after COVID, and it's not gotten much better. We're lacking in medical staffing across the board for geriatrics.
0: Interesting. I had no idea. And then we have
1: the we call it kind of the the real problem area too, especially Alzheimer's, is early Alzheimer's. And we're talking people that are in their forties or fifties. Whoa that get Alzheimer's disease. And I've had several clients who were in that age bracket. They're not getting Medicare. They're not, their spouses are still working. Their kids may be in college. It's a real mess when you have that early group. It's less prevalent than uh, the older population, but it's still there.
0: That's really important to know because I think if you started to see those signs in somebody at that age, you may not make that connection because it seems like it's always something that happens when you get older.
1: Yes. And in this case, I believe that my client's mother had Alzheimer's. So the family had a suspicion that could be what it was. And the other part about when it's that early, the lifespan is very short. We're talking within five years. My uncle actually had the early onset Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed at 60 and he passed at 65 those go, for some reason, it's a quicker process. So, and that part's there. Of course, they don't know what causes, you know, any of this. So that's out there too.
0: And so part of the fundraising for events like The Longest Day are going toward research to try and help us get a handle on where this is coming from. So that's why these events and organizations are so important.
1: Absolutely. And uh, the Alzheimer's Association, especially, is lobbies the state legislature and the federal government to get more funds. And what they try to do is say, look at the statistics, look at how much money in projecting out this is going to cost, because these people can live for a very long time with the disease. So where, you know, how are we going to deal with this as a country?
0: Elizabeth, thank you for being our legal advisor on all things. It's so helpful to the community to get this advice from you and to know that you're out there to help us when we do get into crisis like this with a loved one. And we appreciate you being on River City Podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, Jess.
0: Thanks for listening to River City Podcast. If you're interested in setting up a podcast for your business, go to rivercityconsulting.com.